Welcome to Sport Talks with Sport Profs. We created this community for students and for industry to join together as a community and talk sports and really it just be what's going on, what is the future looking like, and have a little bit of fun. Welcome to Sport Talks with Sport Profs, Stephen Hoffner, our special guest tonight, Stephen Hoffner, and we have Prof Joe, Coach Berlin, we have our esports and entertainment expert, Axel Lil Manis, and of course, our social media expert, Chelsea Verne. So everyone's here tonight. This is fantastic. Steven, you and I go way back. When, when yeah. did you start in the NHL? I started in 2006, actually, and uh, right after the, the lockout ended, and I was lucky enough to start my position right out of university. So... Um, truly blessed and I believe you started just shortly after I did right yeah 2000 yeah. I was I was November 2006 right after there was a big hire so oh, you and okay. I you know what that was my that was I was full-time at that point I started as an intern making 10 I, I believe it was like 10 bucks an hour or something and I was just happy to get anything at that point to get my foot in the door and uh, I was there for from May 2006 and then I got the full-time offer November 1st. So I, I, that's cool. I didn't know that, that we both started at the same time. Very cool. You know, those were the days I used to walk by your desk and borrow CDs, like discs for you, because I wanted to burn music on them. <laughs> <laughs> I say Laurel was a workhorse, is a workhorse. And, and I just, the sheer determination to just close a deal and sell, I was just, you know, really impressed with your work ethic ever since I've, you know, met you. So it's inspiring. Well, it goes, it goes both ways because I was uh, always amazed by you. So we, I want to I actually want to talk about this with the students. So you started as an intern. So thank yeah. you. But also I was, I, I, you and I always had one thing is like, we were always, you, you said it first and then, and, and I love following it. It's like, just, to, it was like a, being a hustler, right? Like we just were sure. always so keen to like achieve and everything we did. And I said to you, and I worked on a project, like, I don't want to do anything unless it's award-winning. And then you ended yeah. up winning an award. Like that attitude, right? Love so that. love that. Um, so you though, so okay, you just tell us how you started out, but you also took it to another level because you worked in hockey operations, but then you also were a goal judge. Um, oh, right, that's right, yeah. So, so so tell us about your hustle. Well, you know, I think it all started at the University of Toronto, really, because I wouldn't have got my position or had the confidence to do so if I didn't have the necessary skills that I taught myself at U of T because I wanted to be an actor. I wanted to be in front of the camera. I wanted to, to be the, in the spotlight. And I really didn't like the fact that I had to wait on other people to give me opportunities. And as an actor, that's all you're really doing. You're just going to auditions and hoping that phone rings. So uh, I decided to start making my own films at U of T. And I basically shot and edited, produced, directed two feature films um, in my spare time at university, I remember pushing a cart of uh, a wheelchair full of camera gear from class to class. Um, that hustle began when I was in my, you know, when I was 18 years old, I just wanted to make film. And at U of T, I, I, was, I just joined the film club and I just started teaching myself. And, you know, I thought I was the next Martin Scorsese. I thought these two films were gonna get me in the, you know, the Oscars and, um, you know, we, you know, I won some awards at the school, which was really cool and flattering, but it didn't get me the international success that I thought I would get. But um, lucky enough that I met some, one of my best friends got a job at the NHL 
in the hockey operations department and she happened to see the work that I had done. I mean, she was obviously a close friend, but you know, she wouldn't have given me the recommendation if she didn't, you know, know that I was capable of doing what I had to do. And um, so she, the door opened up, but in hockey operations, you know, just after she started and, and that was my, my foot in the door. And, um, and really I, I can't thank her enough. And it's funny cause you work so hard and you think, okay, you know, it's, you know, it's going to play at the, you know, in movie theaters or whatever, you, you think you're going to impress all these people. But the one person I had to impress really was just like one of my best friends who opened the door for me, but it just goes to show you the power and importance of networking because, you know, NHL, as you know, Laurel is a, is a pretty hard barrier to entry sports in general is very hard. So, you know, having to know somebody on the inside, um, got my foot in the door there. And yeah, I mean, as when I got that internship, I was just like, okay, there's no way they're, I'm, I'm going to let this go. Cause it wasn't permanent. It was a contract thing. Like it was month to month. We'll see what happens. And, um, my mentor and, and just, I look up to a million fold is Stephen Walkham and he hired me at, at, he's currently the director of officiating right now. And took a chance on this, you know, young 22 year old guy like myself. And I just, you know, hustled every day that I could as an intern and uh, tried to do the best I could. And lucky enough, as, as I said, I was hired and, you know, several months later as a full-time position uh, working as a video editor. And that was a dream come true for me. I never would have thought I'd start as a video editor several years before that I wanted to be an actor, but it's because I took the time to learn the craft from A to Z. I, I wanted to learn how to direct. I wanted to learn how to edit. I want to learn how to act all that stuff. So if I didn't have that know-how from, you know, for the whole scope of the production process, I wouldn't have landed that job because I just kind of stumbled upon having to learn editing because no one else was going to do those things for me. So, you know, I was just really like lucky to teach myself at that time, that craft. And, um, and I guess, so yeah, as you mentioned, Laurel, so after a couple of years, I, I ended up asking Mike Murphy uh, about a vacant video goal judge opportunity at the NHL, which was, uh, for the Toronto Maple Leafs. And, you know, that was for me, I was a young, I don't know, I was like 25 or something. And to kind of walk into an arena and hear your name over the PA, you know, the video goal judge for tonight's game is Stephen Hoffner. And, um, you know, I was on national television many times, you know, on the phone with the war room. And it was kind of surreal, to be honest. Um, I remember that, <laughs> that I had to buy this, like, I didn't really know about anything about fashion when I first started the NHL. That's kind of a running joke because right now I, I pride myself on how well I can, you know, I dress in clothes and stuff. But when I started, I had no idea. I remember just like this, like oversized uh, suit I bought from, uh, from Moore's and it was just, it was hideous. I remember being on television and then the sleeve was like hanging off my, my hand. Um, and, uh, but anyway, so I did that for a few years and then I landed a position with NHL studios, which is really what I always wanted to do, uh, was work as a features producer. And, um, that was where I transitioned from, I guess, the hockey operations internal positions to working in, in traveling North America and shooting documentaries and editorial stories for, for our NHL platforms, which is just, you know, I was able to pretty much see everything and be part of all the tentpole events and, um, you know, not only see, you know, the United States, but, you know, Canada from every province just on on the NHL's dime is just it was such a blessing to be part of something like that and you know I look back now and I think it's like you, you never want to take those moments for granted because you know I'm, I'm not with the NHL in that capacity anymore but 
you know, you, you look back and again, like it was always something that I wanted to just keep getting better and better. And, you know, Laurel mentioned, um, you know, a project that we sort of worked on together and Laurel was instrumental in, in, in attaining a partner, which was L'Oreal. That was a, a documentary miniseries that I had just sort of conceived and I pitched the NHL and they laughed at me. My department at the time, they're like, you know, where are we going to get this kind of money to do this? And I'm like, well, let's work hand in hand with our marketing department. And at the time that was not done. And they, you know, I, I felt like, okay, well, what, one hand should be talking to the other. These people are trying to find us money and we're starving for content and we have only fixed budgets. Why don't we reach out to the marketing department and start working with them? And uh, the series was called NHL Life. And that particular series, as I said, you know, Laurel's department ended up finding us the cash to do it. And, you know, I was lucky enough to direct and produce and edit that entire series, um, which we followed the day in the life of for, you know, several people around the NHL, whether it's a coach or a player, we landed PK Subban as our inaugural episode. And uh, yeah, as you know, we went on to win, you know, a hell, you know, heck of a lot of awards, uh, the W3 Web Awards, we won seven of them. And, uh, but I remember Laurel like uh, saying that, and I remember that that's tattooed in my brain, you know, it was just like, we, we don't just want to do something. We want to make award-winning stuff, you know, and there's a difference. There's a real difference between setting the bar here and setting the bar here. And, you know, along the way in my various adventures with the league, you know, when the last ones that I had was, was meeting Tony Robbins, um, the motivational speaker, and we've since become friends. Uh, I just met him randomly at the Stanley Cup finals because, um, he was working with the Washington Capitals. So when the Caps won, I got to meet him um, and randomly caught him with a great video shot of Ovechkin and him. And I went over to him and I was like, hey, like, do you want to look at this great shot I got? So I was shooting for uh, Samsung at the time uh, for NHL.com. And he was like, oh, wow, you know, can you can you send me that clip? You know, he's got this very raspy voice. And I was like, yeah, sure. So he sent me, his, you know, his cell and we just be kind of became friends that way. And I went to a couple of his shows, but reason I bring him up is that, you know, he's always said like the, the amount of success that you have is all based on your standards. Right. And he, he often quotes Michael Jordan about this, where it's like, you know, the difference is not just practice. It's not just, you know, an attitude. It's not just the people you surround yourself with or going to the gym. Those are all important elements, but it's like, where do you set your standard? Is it here? You're only going to achieve as high as you think you can achieve. Right. And, and I stress that so much to students and my colleagues is like, you know, Michael Jordan was successful, for instance, because he set the bar so ridiculously high that even him, even he himself could not achieve it. But setting that standard so high for yourself gives you that opportunity to, to just keep moving up. And, um, you know, I've always tried to do that in my life. And it's sort of taken me places past the NHL that, uh, you know, I'm really proud of. And I guess we can talk about later. But yeah, no, just an incredible journey with the league. So, the, and you've also surrounded yourself. I mean, the other part I would say to you, in terms of like your method to success and your approach to things is, you know, first, first of all, you work really hard and it's about performance and doing well and being fantastic at your craft and setting the standard high. But it's also about, you have done a very good job at finding champions for you and mentors around you. I mean, Kevin yeah. Weeks, is a mentor and as I said Tony Robbins like how could you do like better than having him as a mentor sure. to you uh Stephen Walker and there's like you've got a lot of great people myself no yeah 
Absolutely. Hey, no, don't sell yourself short. Really great people around you, Stephen. So can you maybe express the importance of that? Is this is these are relationships that you've built in your career. And what is the importance of having mentorships and and more importantly, champions for you? Absolutely. Well, I think that the moment that I meet individuals that not only have a likeness of mind uh, to myself in whatever capacity that it is, I'm immediately drawn to those type of people. I I remember even just from er my earliest being the youngest, you know, let's say I was in in classroom at university or whether I was in school or or film school or like uh, acting school, I'd always gravitate towards the people that I thought were the best you know, the people who are the winners, right? Because I know that I'm going to learn something from them. And sometimes it worked likewise, you know, if I was the best people would, you know, want to be closer to me. And I think it's something that you really need in your life is you need those people that are going to give you opportunities for success, not just opening a door or anything like that. I, I, I try not to field mentors as a way of doing just stuff for me. You know, I try to find a relationship first. You know, case in point, one of my friends is Oren Cools, who uh, was a former owner from the Tampa Bay Lightning. He started the, the Saw franchise and, and Two and a Half Men franchise. So he's, he's a good, uh, you know, bajillionaire, uh, but just a great guy. And, you know, I just happened to meet him through the NHL draft because his son was a draftee that one year. And, you know, I was just, I started emailing him back and forth, just some questions that I had. And it was, it was about business at first, but he just seemed really cool. And, you know, I just built a relationship and we just found, you know, I, I didn't try to go in like, okay, I'm, you know, I'm going to try to meet this guy and get, you know, hopefully he can do this for me or whatever. It was more like, he just seemed like a really cool guy to know. And, and you know, and that, and that just sort of led to, you know, a great relationship, you know, and, and anything that, you know, I do in film or television or whatnot, I always run by him first. I'll send him a text and be like, Hey, like, what do you think of this? Like this idea or this trailer, like, what do you, you know? And he's happy to just like say, Hey, like just go out and do it or don't do this or whatever. And that means so much because those little things, you know, it might be the littlest thing where it's like someone saying, yeah, maybe just don't do that, you know, or, or, you know what, do this. Like I remember with, and we can maybe talk about it later, but the, the feature film, I just finished directing my first documentary feature. And I remember like, I wanted to, to feel it out to somebody else. To, uh, like I wanted to shadow somebody. And he was like, don't do that. Like, this is your story. Like you got to find a way. I'm like, well, we got no money, you know, and we got, and I got, I don't even have so much time to do it. He's like, find a way, just figure it out. And I'm so glad he said that because that's just, I needed to hear that, but I didn't, you know, if you don't have those mentors in your life, you know, and it could be something small, it doesn't have to be someone famous or rich or whatever, but just people that you trust that have a track record of success, right? Because there's a lot of people in this world that are going to be able to talk your ear off and say, do this or do that. And then, trust me, I've run into many people like that, but it's like, look at their track record. Are they, have they been successful in whatever capacity they've done it? It doesn't have to be successful in every regard, but if you're trying to do this or that, um, look, you know, see the results. What what are those people doing? Um, and if if they have been successful, there's a reason. And those people you need to draw yourself closer to, even if it's in just a small way or a big way. So let's talk about. I'd like to bring Joe into this part of the conversation because producing and directing, and as you said 
you were responsible for, for all of it. But when working on documentary, it's important to find a theme in the documentary, a theme for the film kind of helps you think about what are the shots, what's the lighting going to look like and so forth. So what is your approach uh, when you had this idea for documentary? And then Joe, I'd love for you to weigh in and talk about, you know, this is something of, of course that the two of you have in common, both documentary makers. I think the idea has to come first and it just could be a, a little, you know, nugget, right? It's, it's something that's really basic, almost of like, hey, like, you know, as a, for instance, it, the idea for the feature film was, you know, young African-Americans playing hockey. And that was just, that's it. Like, like that's just the one liner. And you kind of run that by people that you trust and be like, hey, what's, what's this? What's, what, what do you think of this? You know, you know, there's a young, like young African-Americans playing hockey in Washington, D.C. in, you know, a very sort of impoverished sort of area of, of, of Washington. Is that is that sort of where does that land on you? And if people go, oh, that's interesting. I, you know, never. It's kind of cool. You know, if that, if that resonates an idea if that if that makes people go, oh, that's 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 cool. You know, um, that's that's when you go, OK, I'll take it to the next level. And that's when you start fleshing it out the idea and, and investigating more and, and speaking to people because at the end of the day, it all comes down to just one simple idea and concept, just like no different than when you're flipping the channels or you're going through Netflix and you're just seeing, and you're just reading the log line, that first line of what the movie's about. It's, it's just one line. It's this, 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 and this happens. And it's like, okay, does that, does that make you want to watch it? If you don't know, the basic kernel of the idea, then, you know, you can't really sell it. And I think that's where I start. And then once we do that, then it starts, then we start to investigate. We start to talk to subjects, you know, in this, for instance, we, we flew to Washington, DC, we interviewed all our people. Um, we interviewed coach Neil and, and all the kids, and we tried to get the, the source of the story. Um, and then we decide, okay, is this, are we going to do this? And then uh, you try to find money. <laughs> <laughs> which is the hardest part um, and uh and that and that often is is a, a huge roadblock for people and and has been for myself especially if you're trying to do ambitious things money is always is, is is the hardest thing to do and it's almost like this weird thing where no like grant agencies or whatever like won't give you money unless you've got product but then it's like how do you get product without getting money right so it's like trying to find uh, a way to do it. So, you know, I just decided in this particular case over the last two years, just to do it myself and to, to mm -hmm. self-finance the project. Um, you know, my partner uh, on the project, AJ Messier, and I had, um, we worked tirelessly to find funds. We couldn't find the money. Um, we had uh, one of his best friends actually offered to potentially finance the film for half a million dollars. And, and he passed away literally months right before we were scheduled to, to meet the, the team. And so that was a personal tragedy plus, you know, devastating for our prospects of the film, but we've kept pushing through because it was like, this story's too good. Um, so, you know, you really have to weigh the pros and cons. And, you know, as my friend Oren Cools, as I mentioned, you know, what he likes to say is like, the stars really have to align when you make something, they really have to align. You know, if I have to draw back to the experience with Laurel, and, and our documentary series, for instance, like the stars had to align, you know, like we, I had this idea for a couple of years, but it's like we didn't have the resources or time or money to get it done. But it just so happened at that point in time, 
you know, we just started to start working with the marketing team and just so happened to have a partner interested in doing that type of content. And it just happened to, to kind of come together and it doesn't always happen that way. Some things just don't happen, but the stars have to align. Joe, what are, what's your secret to, to finding the funding or what advice do you give to the students on this when they want to create their documentary? I have to say what a pleasure it is listening to Stephen tonight. It's like, it's, uh, it's almost like a little bit of hearing my own history in a way, because you're mm -hmm. a bit younger than me. And, but we have had very similar trajectories. Like I went to RTA, graduated from there, but got a job at the CBC and worked my way up from like the mail room and delivering mail and film canisters to working at CBC Sports. And I was an AD and then an AP and a field producer and a sport producer, show producer, uh, exec producer. And then we actually um, had a small documentary unit that opened up in the department uh, end of the end of the 90s early 2000s when Alan Clark if I, I don't know if you know that name but when he was the, the head of CBC Sports and John Shannon was there at that mm. time too you know that yeah. oh yeah oh yeah and yeah. so um but anyways um uh so I started working a lot on documentaries but I had come from live television and doing that in terms of producing and then got to do what, but I'd also started out doing features. And what you said about it being a privilege, I really, really appreciate that you said that because that's what I've always felt. Like I traveled the entire country and it's a privilege to know your own country. Sure. But every part of Canada and around most of the world, being able to shoot stories and tell stories and work on things and meet interesting people and go to all these you know, amazing games and do things that really I dreamed of when I was, you know, when I was a student's agent. So it is possible. Like that's the thing that I think is always good for them to hear is that this is possible. You know, dream big and you're saying that and it's good, you're a dream big, but you, you've also added the very, very crucial part. You're talking about how hard it is, right? It's a lot of hard work. It's not just handed to us. And what's even more interesting is that you're talking about the, the battles of, you know, funding and money and, I do believe that we don't do as much as we should probably in terms of teaching students about funding and budgeting. That may be something in the future we're gonna work on more. I still feel like it's a bit, it's almost too far away because it's not uh, you know real money to them yet. Whereas we've learned with the real money. But yeah. when you do get a good understanding of what budgets are and like that there's basically, you know, this is what a, a half hour doc goes for. This is how much an, an hour doc goes for. And, there, and there's variations, what I was trying to say, but we know there's these ballparks. And so when you actually get into the room with people to try to get money and get funding, you have to know that. Because yeah. if you oversell too much or you undersell too much, they, they know you're kind of full of it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and and the so there's a sweet spot and you've got to understand what's reasonable with also trying to get a little bit more than you think you're going to get. I know, and sort of know what your, your bottom line is. Um, but I love when you were saying about, you know, this, about the story when you're so invested. I mean, I literally left my full-time job at CBC to pursue a story that they would not fund, right? Like I was doing docs there and I had an idea and they wouldn't give me the money and another network did. And I went off and, and did that. And I was only funded for the year and a half or so to, to get the film done. Sure. But I gave up an, a permanent job. I gave up security. I did all that for wow. a story. Wow. And so I think, I think um, you know, your career sounds very similar. But one thing I wanted to ask you is, 
I always like to know from people, when did you know, when did you, was that pinch me moment where you went, oh my God, I am living my dreams and I get to do what I've always dreamed to do. Cause I, I know what mine was. I'm mm. always interested to know what other people's were. <laughs> so you're asking when that, that moment yeah, was? Yeah, when or? was it? What was it? <laughs> you know, I'll be honest. It didn't start at the NHL. It started when I was at the University of Toronto and I was acting and just being creative. And you know what? And, and you bring up such a great point about money and jobs and stuff. Like I didn't really realize at the time when I was in school that it was such a risk you know, taking uh, acting, you know, I thought I was just following my dream. You know, that's what I wanted to do. I want to just follow the arts. But when you just, when you're not following money and you're following your heart and your dreams, but being smart about it, you know, not just going out there and spending money and, you know, frivolously without a, without a plan, you got to have a plan, you got to have goals. Um, but, you know, when, when you put aside the financial element and you just go with, cause I believe everyone's on this earth to do something. And there's a million things you could do for some reason, everyone on this call has been drawn to this subject matter. It's not a coincidence. It's not a coincidence because you could be doing a million other things. Some people love the sciences. Some people love real estate. Some people love whatever, but the fact is we're drawn to this subject matter and that's important. You can't say that it's not important because it was a question that I asked myself from, and I asked other people all the time, if you were to wake up in the morning and do anything and be excited about anything, the most, what is the most exciting thing you could possibly think of that would get you ready and just on your feet, ready to do it? Like, what is it? And my answer every time and time again was like, you know, started as acting and, and comedy. And that's where I kind of got my plan and my roots, but then it, then it started like the filmmaking. I just couldn't wait to get in that editing chair. I couldn't wait to pick up that camera and shoot. So that pinched me moment started at U of T because I was living that dream in the arts. And I guess like the next, next level was, was, you know, getting a job at the NHL as my first job. Cause I knew it wasn't going to last forever, but, um, and I still actually, you know, I will say I am still with the national hockey league at work in the, in the situation room. So, um, instead of being in a video goal judge at the arena. So now I'm with uh, the group with Mike Murphy and, and Chris King and the, and the boys in the room to, you know, make the decisions on video review. So that that's, you know, a privilege in itself. And that's just kind of gravy for me. I just, you know, I would do that for, for no money. I wouldn't go on record <laughs> saying that to, to Coley Campbell, but you know, I, 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 uh, I, it's such a, it's such a privilege to do that. And, um, but yeah, fought, fought, when you fought and like the fact that you quit, your job to follow a story. I mean, that is so admirable. I mean, some people might say you're crazy, but it, I think- um, And some did. <laughs> sure. Some but you did. know what? Mm. You know, you have to, I have to hand it to you because I think that like, that's that's true dedication to the craft. And you know, that that was your calling. You know what I mean? It's because I know, and you know, that if you didn't do that, you would be regretting every minute of it sitting in that chair at CBC going, what if, right? Yeah. What, why did, you know what I mean? And you just got to do it sometimes yeah. so yeah you have to be passionate about stories or ideas and about your work and i think you're right you have to wake up and go what am i really passionate about but the interesting thing is if i hadn't taken that fork in the road and done that i was then um, sort of offered a badge i had always been kept being bugged to teach part-time or to come in mm -hmm. and do a guest lecture and i never ever would and then when i was doing that and finishing up the post on it 
somebody kept bugging me to come in and co-teach them. And I said, finally, okay. And I did that. And then that opened up the door to so many other things. And I found that I loved that. So it's like, sure, it's so corny, but one door closes, another one opens. Always. Yeah. And you know what, when you, when you're on a path for whatever it is for success or even just your life path, it doesn't, you know, sometimes you, it's like a plane landing, right? Like you, you it never, it never goes just down. You, you kind of swerve and you're kind of going this way. Like it doesn't, like, I've always felt that my calling was always, you know, feature films, um, and, and the stage, just the, the spotlight, you know, I love that. And I love having my art showcase that's always been, but it's like, I thought, okay, it would start in acting or stand up comedies where I started, but then it's like, some people think, well, just because like, just because you pivot, it doesn't mean that you're giving up on something. Pivoting is a, an important element of success because it means that you probably learned a lesson and now you're doing something else to get to that goal. Right. And, and especially if you're in the, in the creative world or the sports world, you know, it just, it doesn't mean just because I decided not to do stand up comedy, you know, uh, full-time anymore or part-time, it doesn't mean my goal still isn't to tell stories in some different way, right? I just decided that I'm gonna step behind the camera and, and do it that way, so. So I, I'd love to, let's talk, about, uh, let's use that word passion, but also how we're gonna tie it to this, this categorical business of sport broadcast. So I'm gonna wait, I get Chelsea to weigh in here. So Chelsea, I know, loves sports, loves Disney. Now, mm. Chelsea was introduced to MLB BAM when it existed many years ago and NHL and MLB came together mm -hmm. uh, when they started to realize, hey, let's galvanize and let's do some digital content together. Uh, at the same time, or around the same, after that, years after that, they sold portion of this to ESPN and then to, which was then ABC and Disney buying it all. So this all kind of comes around. And so, Chelsea, this is an area that I know very close to your heart. You're not just looking at, hey, I want to work at the NHL or I want to work at Disney. It's like, I want to work at ABC or ESPN or Disney, or how do I get in to be part of an organization, a broadcast organization, broadcast production, broadcast business, broadcast marketing, whatever you want to call the area that you're interested in terms of your skill set. Let's talk about that, that, what you and Stephen have in common, and maybe just a little bit about the Disney and NHL space. Yeah, well, um, so you were obviously your features producer for the NHL properties and had the collaboration with the Walt Disney Company. And yeah. anyone that knows me, and especially when I first met you and you had told me that you were working um, with Disney, I was like, oh my God, I need to know this guy because I need to get, I need to know how to get into Disney. So sure. um, this is right. you said was tied to the NHL through their streaming services. So could you tell us a little bit more about that collaboration and then where your role fell in between sports and Disney? Yeah, I think especially when you're part of a big corporate entity like the NHL, uh, you know, you're, you're going to be subject to um, a lot of sort of shakeup and corporate shakeup. So obviously the NHL partnered with uh, MLB AM to run their back end, you know, digital platforms. And, uh, and they were bought out by the Walt Disney Company to, to run Disney, what is now Disney streaming. So, you know, it was a big part of, uh, you know, being part of that shakeup. You know, you don't really know uh, exactly where you're going to fall when those things happen. So it's a little, it can be a little scary uh, being part of that. But what it does is that it opens up other opportunities because you're now part of a bigger family, right? And, you know when I was work, it was kind of weird because I was working for the NHL and then I was with MLB 
AM uh, or BAM. Um, so I was working under Major League Baseball as well. So, I mean, I was working, you know, I worked Blues Jays playoff games and, you know, worked, you know, some videos with them, which was amazing, especially when they were on their historic run a few years ago. And, and then when Walt Disney took over, um, now all of a sudden I was part of, you know, this other whole company and, you know, uh, getting free swag. I got Mickey Mouse stuff at home and, you know, free passes to theme parks. And, um, and most of all, um, you're just meeting different people uh, as part of a completely different organization, which I, I've got, you know, I, I didn't ha work for Walt Disney as long as I would have liked. It was just about a year, but, you know, they were, they welcomed me with open arms. You know, they have their front office or their head offices on Front Street in Toronto. So it was great to be part of that family and to, you know, be part of that franchise of Star Wars and all this kind of stuff that you're around. And I was still working in sports. So it was always kind of like this confusion <laughs> at the office. Like, wait a second, so you worked the NHL and Disney, like, how, like even the people there didn't really know how it worked. Um, but Disney is such a massive corporation that, you know, not everybody kind of talks to each other, right? So, uh, but I would say that probably the best thing that came out of that was just some of the people that I met through that organization. And as, I, as such, I, you know, they are affiliated with ABC, which was television. And I was just always asking questions. Um, when you're part of a different space like that, it gives you different avenues to, to pursue. And because I was like, okay, like when I saw job postings, I was like, I was just constantly searching what's in LA, what's in Burbank, what's in the ABC studios, you know, whereas at the NHL, that would never happen. It was always just clubs and, and teams. So it just opened up other doors for me at the time. And um, yeah, but no, it was cool to be the offices too, because they got some really cool, some cool life-size Star Wars uh, figures there at the office. And I know Chelsea's disappointed. I didn't get, I didn't, you didn't get the tour from me yet, but uh, hopefully one day you will. <laughs> It was funny because when I was in New York with Laurel during the NYU collaboration, we were sitting in the MLB offices. And at that point, I didn't know the connection between MLB BAM and BAM Tech and everything. And then when they had said that connection, I was like sitting there going, oh my God, so I could work for Disney and do sports at the same time. Like that was the- That's their two biggest things right there. <laughs> so then like- so from that, like, I mean, that's what I would like to ultimately do. And then as I've kind of grown through my undergrad and now doing my master's, I want to have, find a job that blends both Disney and sport, specifically mm -hmm. within the Pixar animation studios or uh, Walt Disney animation studios. So cool. you know, bridging off of how you produced features for the NHL through Disney, um, Disney has a very particular way of telling stories. So how has that influenced your own storytelling and your writing? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, when it comes to, you know, Disney, they've, they've expanded so much that they, this sort of idea that, well, it's a Disney story, you know, it's, it's almost become a cliche, that means PG or family related content. But, you know, they branched out and they bought Fox. Uh, and there was a big question mark is like, well, Fox doesn't produce Disney friendly type of material, they're gonna shut that down and just make everything you know, uh, you know, family orientated. And they didn't, they decided that, you know, Fox is going to stay Fox. We just own them now. And we're just going to do, you know, under the Disney umbrella, this is what they're going to do. So, you know, people like Bob Iger are, are really smart men. Um, I, I know he's on his way out now, but they've done such a great job with their corporate alignment and their corporate structure to make sure that there are in, there's independence in every tower, right? Even the NHL, they're in their own tower. They don't have to like go through all the, the bureaucracy of going to, you know, all the different avenues, but 
just to answer your question in terms of the storytelling element, you know, I, I personally wouldn't say that I was affected therefore from the, how Disney tells stories, but I would say that, you know, for me, it's always paramount to, to be authentic. And when you're telling stories, especially in the unscripted documentary format, you need to make sure that your content is constantly being vetted for BS, right? And you need to find and dig deeper. And I find that the best way to do that is to, again, coming back to building relationships. When you build relationships with people, you build a trust and you build authenticity. And that, there is no substitute for that. And I learned that at the NHL, the first thing I ever sat down with a player, I would say to him, look, I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw a mic on you, but just so you know, I'm going to get in more trouble than you will if I put something out there in the world that shouldn't be out there. And I, you know, it kind of, you think that, oh, okay, every player would know that nine times out of 10, every player would go, Oh, whew, good. Great. Thanks. Thanks so much, man. I just, now I feel so much better. And then they would go on and, you know, they might drop an F bomb here and there and they wouldn't worry about it because they know they trust me. Right. So that was a big takeaway that I had from my time telling stories with the NHL was, making sure that trust was there to lead to authenticity. Honestly, that's, that's how you do it. And you, ha you, you know, you can't think of your subject as, as just props, you know, they're human beings. And um, if I'm, if I'm going to open up to somebody, I, I, I don't, if there's, if they feel like a stranger, they're not, they're not going to give you that information. That's, that's going to be necessary for you to tell the truth. And that is the goal of every artist in any capacity, whether you are comedy, drama, sports or maybe not sports but sports documentary or unscripted whatever it's always about telling the truth and the closer you can get to the truth the more authentic and real your piece will be we're going to change this up here because i do want to get into rapid fire but before we get into rapid fire since we're talking about disney mm -hmm. and it just made me think about also we've got axel Lilmanis, who every week we say entertainment and esports executive and axel spent 20 years at warner brothers Spent a lot of time in Burbank and Axel, what do you think about what the move that Disney has uh, taken and what, you know, maybe some comments to some of the perspective that Stephen Hoffner's given here tonight, Axel? Oh, and also Axel, before you answer that question, my understanding is that you also have something in common with Stephen Hoffner and that is Ace Ventura, the pet detective. <laughs> Well, I, I may or may not have dressed up like Ace Ventura during university for a um, well-executed uh, Halloween costume. But um, yeah, that, 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 those are definitely, that's a character in a, in a, in a franchise that uh, it's hard to replicate and I love for sure. Um, uh, hi, Stephen. Hi, everybody. Um, yeah, so, I mean, you talked about Disney being uh, now centered around streaming. Uh, Warner Brothers done the same thing. Uh, universal, like everybody is going direct to consumer and, and is seeing the power of, of reach through these over the top streaming platforms. Um, but I wanted to kind of go back and, you know, uh, revisit a, a topic we started off with, which is about premium content and award-winning content. Mm. Uh, during the pandemic, obviously the shine wasn't there, like the production value had to change. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, for me, I felt like there was an opportunity for that authenticity that you were just talking about. Mm. Uh, for the first time, we felt closer to the athletes, closer to sports, um, like the real DNA of sports, um, you know, removed and behind the, the, the curtain of, of production, uh, so to speak. And 
I know you've done some documentaries. Uh, was it uh, Behind the Stripes? Uh, you did a documentary uh, on on uh, Bill McCreary, mm -hmm. and um, you know the NHL did a uh, Inside the Bubble documentary recently. I don't know how involved you were, if at all, in that. Um, but I feel like both in the case of the NBA and the NHL, there was this missed opportunity to kind of really get behind, get inside the bubble and really explore it real time, sort of what the athletes were going through, what the, what the leagues were struggling with. Um, so just want to get your take on what you would have done if you were given sort of carte blanche in the camera to, to document either those bubbles or anything else that was happening in sport during the pandemic. I honestly think in, in I, all the leagues was, I think had the exact same attitude. And I think the NFL has this attitude uh, is just get in and get out. You know, th th this, this is something that's never happened before. And the league for one spent, uh, I think it was like $80 million or something on just, you know, production and getting people because like, I wasn't part of the, the inside the bubble. I was part of the conversation, but they decided to, to land. They're just a couple of the full-time employees to sit inside that bubble in Toronto. Um, and then they hired a couple people, but it was a lean, lean, lean crew and, and health measures were number one and paramount. So if I had carte blanche, I mean, I think that it's, it's difficult to say because you know, you have to respect people's, you know, health and the safety measures. I mean, I think that, all these guys are away from their families. Nobody really was in the best spirit to just kind of, Hey, like, let's go shoot a documentary inside the bubble. I think the league did the best they could. I think I was actually, to be honest, I was surprised they were able to get away with shooting what they did. So I was actually less uh, surprised that they didn't do it more, you know, something more ambitious. I, I was actually surprised they did anything just to have something out there as content because it was such a sensitive thing to have anybody in that bubble. My buddy, Dave Sanford was the one of two photographers in Edmonton. And, you know, he, I, I'm not sure exactly what his paycheck was, but it was very substantial, but he was shooting at times six games a day, you know, like insane. Um, or it was four games a day, but the fact is like, you know, to sit in a stool and take photos and then, you know, he's taking thousands of images and then they go back because they just, you know, the NH, it was so costly to keep bodies and creative people in there. Um, it's just, honestly, people think, well, there was a missed opportunity. And I, I read blogs that, oh, the league could have done this or done that. I think it was more about like, let's just get it, get in and get out. Like, let's just hope that nobody gets sick and there's no liabilities here. And that content was just almost a second thought, to be quite honest with you. Uh, I think that hopefully once things open up in Jan, there's a vaccine that you know things will will evolve a little bit more, but I think it's more the spirit of where people's heads were at. It wasn't about let's 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 get content. It was more like let's just finish this season and hopefully nobody gets sick. Like that was kind of I think the mentality of those leagues. And no uh, Ace Ventura. Ace Ventura. Sorry, <laughs> I forgot that about that part. <laughs> well, yeah, no. The the story goes is that my first. Uh, my first ever impression was Ace Ventura and I, that was my first big laugh as a kid. And, uh, I fell in love with the movie and Jim Carrey and you want to talk about mentors. Jim Carrey was my mentor. That was, I, I watched Ace Ventura. I kid you not over 30 times. I knew every word of that movie. I watched Dumb and Dumber 30 times. I watched <laughs> the mask a bunch of times and I brought my act to the stage and that was, 
that's where I, that's how I got started. And so I wouldn't be in this show business. I wouldn't be in sports entertainment, any entertainment field if it wasn't for Jim Carrey. So okay, let me ask you this question because this is what Dan is going to take over in thirty seconds. So I'm actually going to kick off rapid fire right here for you, Dan, and then you can kick it off after. What is Axel? And then and then Hopner. What is your favorite line in Ace Ventura: Pet Detective? Axel. Um, I like the how can I fuck without the shouting? Without the shouting. <laughs> and then it goes on and on. It's about Snowflake. We're Snowflake. What happened to him? He's gone. Somebody stole Snowflake from the tank. Steven? Alrighty then. Please? No chance of following that up. What? Okay. Well, my one of my favorite scenes is when he's coming out of the mechanical rhinoceros. That's one of my favorites. <laughs> That's number two, actually. That's right. number two. But yeah. <laughs> All right, memories, so. memories of the war room when the fan when the fan stops, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's right. You know what? Over the holidays, I think we'll just do a whole show on Ace Ventura. I think that'd be hilarious. <laughs> we should. We should. Anyone else want to give their best line of Ace Ventura before we go over to Rapid Fire? Dan, do you have one? <laughs> Yeah, I kind of do. I mean, I, I remember him from his In Living Color days. And I'm sure, Stephen, you've probably seen Unnatural Act a few hundred times, like myself, like talking about memory. But Fire Marshal Bill. Yeah. Always my favorite. Like, Let me show you. You know, like that, that line right there. Yeah. That's actually really funny, Stephen, because, you know, Jim Carrey was probably, you know, like, I just emulated everything he did. Like, it was just must see. Yeah must see tv or like did you ever see that unnatural act do you, you know what i'm talking about oh, the yeah. stand-up where he's wearing like the rainbow yeah absolutely shirt. where he's like the cockroach trying to avoid the vacuum cleaner or something you're the crab right like watch what i'm doing the crab yeah, yeah. you yeah. know right like there's so many it's like they used yeah. to ask like in showbiz they used to say yes canada it was a frozen hostile wasteland you know and you just go off anyway i love all that stuff so yeah Legend. Great to know that. You know, it's funny because until you revealed that, you know, Carrie had such a huge influence on you, my first question was, you know, what actor influenced you the most? So I'll get to my second question then. What you've got all this sports background, you love being, you know, you love acting, you love being a part of that. Mm -hmm. What was, you know, what is your favorite sports movie of all time? Oh, wow. That is a good question. Um, and you, yeah. you have to answer it in one sentence. Yeah, well, that, that's it. I'm giving him just the first sure. one. And I'll read it. I'll see how he does. But it one is letter. rapid fire. Yeah, it's true. It's just rapid kidding. fire. You get like, unless I tell you you have more than one word, you've got one Actually, word. Dan, we changed the rules tonight. Did you not get the memo? It's one letter and we have to guess his word. No, I'm just kidding. Very cryptic of you, Laurel. I didn't know that. Um, <laughs> now, listen. Laurel just kindly bought you an extra 30 seconds to come up with your favorite sports movie. What is it? <laughs> I'm going to say uh, Friday Night Lights is a, one of my top favorites for sure. Um, Curtis Hansen, one of my favorite directors. Uh, but I, I'm actually a big, bigger fan of the show. The show I was, was going to say. Yeah, the series. Yeah, usually if you love the movie, the, it's really the TV show that, yeah. that you dig. That's great. Um, hey, did, did you particularly have a sports hero as a kid? Yeah, I mean, I, I think for me, I was more interested in the clubs and stuff. But like, I was, I was, I was a Leaf fan, like through and through. Uh, so I mean, Dougie Gilmore, Curtis Joseph, sure, big time. Well, what like, year was the first Leaf game you went to? Uh, I I was in I was I was four years old, uh, nineteen eighty six, and uh, my dad brought me to a Pittsburgh Penguins game, 
And uh, Mario Lemieux had six points. It was 6-1 the final. And, uh, it and was, he had a point on every one. Yeah, it was just That's ridiculous. reminiscent because Gilmore once upon a time had a six-point game, I, I believe, against Dallas way back when. So it's interesting you got to see a six-point game. Yeah, no, it was incredible. It might have been four points now that I think of it. But he dominated. It was, it was a ridiculous game. And he just... That's the like the photographer who shot six games. Oh, no, it was four games. Well, you know what I mean. <laughs> That's right. A lot yeah. of points. We're in the middle. <laughs> a lot of points. Hey, now we talked, we had a little fun about you working at Disney on the sports side. So I, I need to know which of their famous Disney classic sports shorts you most relate with. Is it Mickey's Good Sports or is it Goofy's Hockey Homicide? <laughs> <laughs> goofy you gotta go with goofy oh i just like saying goofy so i do too now you know so small just a funny quick little story i worked at the cn tower when they did the 20th anniversary of disney canada and we did disney breakfast and they flew in all the characters from florida and i'll tell you like goofy and all these it was larger than life i have a photo of me with like literally 15 disney characters which still to this day might be my highlight of my life but Goofy, just there's something about Goofy. He's just Goofy. He just start laughing naturally. Right. <laughs> He's kind of like Jim Carrey. He's like Goofy if he was. He a is. Um, I, let me ask you this: If you could get a ticket, I know we can't do this yet, but you could get a ticket in your hand, Stephen, tomorrow for any game, any team, any venue. Who are you gonna go see? Uh, right now? Yeah, right now. Like, I mean, you can't go right now, but if you could. I go, oh man, my first game back. I'm going anywhere. Where am I going? I, I got to say, I would love courtside seats to, Le, to see LeBron. I would love to see him before he's done 100%. You can blame you on that. You know, uh, speaking of sporting events at the Stanley Cup final, you mentioned that you bumped into Tony Robbins and had that great photo taken of you and he um, on Instagram. So, in a sure. word or two, Max, describe Tony up close. Uh, Wow. Gargantuan. Yeah, he's, he's, a big man. he's a massive man. Isn't he? His hand is the size of my head. I'm not yeah. even exaggerating. He's a giant. He is a big man. <laughs> hey, in, a, in three words, I'll give you no more than three words for this, but that's because you get to use an extra word from the answer before. Describe the situation room on a typical Saturday night. Insanity. Insanity. And... You can even say insanity one more time. It's like three insanities. Yeah, insanity, insanity, insanity. Uh, but actually, no, I can't say any more, right? I can't give you any more. Unless you got something good. I'm not going to stop you now. But <laughs> insanity, but. <laughs> insanity, organized chaos. Let's put it that way. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Um, hey, Leslie, you founded 383 Pictures. You know, tell us a little bit about the best part, maybe in a word or two, of going out on your own. Yeah, uh, just being independent and having the, the choices to, to be able to do what you want, when you want. Um, I can work when I want, um, choose, choose not to work when I want. Uh, certainly comes with its challenges with, you know, a pandemic and, and what dries up and whatnot but for me I, i'm i'm more chosen to to go the independent route because it gives me opportunities to thrive as as an independent artist so i established this production company so that i could you know create opportunities for my colleagues as an umbrella operation and uh and to just and i've sort of pivoted i used to kind of try to nickel and dime and get you know little productions and and 
and, and find video production uh, work here and there, which I still do. Uh, but uh, it just gives me an opportunity now to just focus in on development and working on my projects that I want to work on um, and are mo much more ambitious, which are more serial based content or feature feature films. I mean, you see what happens when I don't give you the three words or less quantified. <laughs> I just can't stop talking. Yeah, yeah. It's like the molasses pour. We're here for rapid fire, okay? Hey, Sorry. listen, that's the best part, this independence, right? This ability to choose, this ability to be in control of your fate. What's the hardest part of going out on your own? Uncertainty. How do yeah. you deal with it? Uh, 10 I, words or less. How do you deal with, how do you deal with uncertainty? Uh, an you open mind. Yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I actually am always fascinated by the answer because how a person deals with uncertainty can, I, f I believe, can be a very defining trait. But please. Yeah. I think you have to be uh, inherently optimistic and positive uh, about your outlook and your projects. You know, I'm just 100% uh, motivated that whatever I do is going to turn to gold or that will be good. And that just, feeling of knowing not doubting but knowing that whatever i'm doing is going to be good th that that makes me sleep at night amazing hey uh in five words or less just throwing it out there what's the single most rewarding part of being a teacher oh wow uh the opportunity to enlighten young minds new minds that Beautifully done yeah it, yeah it, it can be very gratifying indeed. And then finally, as you will have a chance shortly to look back on 2020, uh, a year like no other, what will be personally your greatest takeaway? That me and my girlfriend can really get along. <laughs> <laughs> the ultimate test. It is. Like, there's no greater test. That is your rapid fire molasses pour any way you slice it. Stephen Hoffner, thank you for this. Appreciate it. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you, Stephen. This is wonderful. Do you have time just to answer one student question here? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, oh my gosh, we're, we're, we're over in time. I'm so sorry. This is like, this is the... No, it's all good. Okay. All good. I've got a couple of questions here. The, just quickly. Um, the first is, just as a yes or no, did you get a chance to go to Disneyland or Disney World for free? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I was able to get a couple of uh, friends of mine. In fact, uh, P.K. Subban's sister, a random trivia fact there that she was going to Florida and got her a couple of tickets that I wasn't able to take, a, take advantage of. So someone got, someone got to see a, a theme park on my, uh, my luxury there. <laughs> That's a question from the, the chat. Yes. Hi, Stephen. Uh, my name is Torsam. I am a student from MBM, Ryzen MBM. Uh, so uh, I don't know if you answered this before, but I joined late. So my question is, so when I was doing my undergrad, I did my undergrad in marketing and advertising, and I did uh, marketing and communications for six years for nonprofit. But ever since childhood, I actually wanted to work with the sports team. Uh, it was soccer. So I'm a big Chelsea fan. So I used to, you know, uh, reach out to um, people on LinkedIn and say, and say, you know what, I've made this. Uh, I've, I used to make small videos and put them on YouTube. I used to uh, send them to these uh, Chelsea marketing people on LinkedIn or email them and would do that. And I did that for, I think, two years. And the only response I got was, you don't have experience working in a sports team. You don't have sports journalism in your CV and stuff like that. 
And uh, to be honest, at the end, I actually gave up. I stopped doing that. And uh, I had a whole hard drive of these videos and materials and posters. Uh, but I mean, for someone like me who has like six years of experience now with a nonprofit and a marketing degree, is there still a way that I can actually get into sports? Um, or I mean, is it too late? Yes. And also, yes. uh, Stephen, I just also want to let you know, so Torsum is in our master's program of digital media. Okay. Yes. So, so you want to get into production? Is that the question? Or So uh, so yes, into production. And since my experience is now in marketing, I don't mind marketing. I love that field also. But uh, as a freelancer, I used to do these small documentaries for nonprofits. But my whole, uh, my dream was to actually make something or do something in a sports team. Basically, it was soccer. I just wanted to do uh, something for the soccer teams, in sure. particularly the English Premier League. So, yeah. <laughs> well, hey, you know, I, I always, uh, you know, I'm a big proponent of dreaming big, right? But, you know, I, I think it depends, right? I mean, I, I, I've said, and in fact, something I preached in Laurel's class was, you know, having the opportunity to know both sides of production and marketing is a real asset. Um, so, I, I mean, I think that a lot of the time people know one or the other. So when, when, especially when I was working with the marketing people, they didn't really understand how production worked. And then on the production side, they didn't really understand how things were sold and marketed. So, you know, I think that if you are able to, you know, unite those two, that's a real asset, right? I mean, certainly you have more of a background in, in marketing and the business side, but I think that the fact that you have some production knowledge that can really help you, um, especially if you are trying to get in, let's say on the business side of things and sports right off the bat, I think that would help you. If you wanted to get in on the production side, you're going to definitely need to put in more hours to get experience uh, in, the, in the video production end to be taken seriously uh, from a sports side. And then you can actually have, you know, because you have that business side, that can be a real advantage for you. But my advice would be if you want to get on the digital side and the production side, you know, volunteer uh, for, you know, teams, you know, like the AHL or, you know, the minor league clubs, OHL, um, you know, whatever, you know, whatever smaller leagues, you'd be surprised because people, um, you know, that's where people cut their teeth. That's where they get the experience and they work their way up. Um, and because those people relying are relying on volunteers, you need to know that if you're going to try to get into sports, especially you need to put in those hours to, to volunteer to prove that you've got something because no one's probably going to just give you a paycheck to just see what happens and hopefully you can execute, right? We have a question from Alyssa as well. Do you ever feel discouraged or burned out creatively? If so, how do you reset? There's sometimes she feels as though she finds it hard to be passionate projects. Um, then she can feel like her content isn't good enough. So how can you help her out with that? Mm, that's that's really good. I mean, I think that what, what keeps you going is the content. You know, if you you have to attach yourself to material and subject matter that gets, that gets you excited. If you're being, if you're getting burned out, uh, everyone gets burned out. Right. I mean, there's times where you're just like, man, I just can't, I don't know if I can pull this off. Right. But at the end of the day, you have to find a way to be mo motivated towards a subject matter, but that starts at the beginning. It doesn't start midway. It starts when you're choosing an idea. You know, I didn't put, you know, two years of my life into the last, in this recent documentary, if I didn't feel like I could do this every day and talk about it like it was the first day, right? Because um, I think 
burning out, there's, there's, there's a difference between being physically burned out and being mentally burned out. Um, and physically burned out happens to everyone. But if you are mentally burned out from your subject matter, it means that maybe you're not attaching yourself to the right content. Um, and if you do need to find a way to be motivated mentally, but you still are pumped about it, you know, I, I personally, I, I enjoy meditating. Um, that's a really important part of, of how I reboot. And, you know, I use the, the app Calm uh, very often. And you'd be surprised, like your brain and your body is, is, is 100% a machine and you have to treat it that way. And you'd be surprised how just, you know, being mentally reset in a, in a quiet meditation over 15 minutes every day, what that, what that can do for you, so. Thank you. So t speaking also um, of mentally resetting, um, Stephen, I don't know if you know this or not, but on Friday, we have Michael Landsberg, who's joining us to have a similar type of conversation, open dialogue about uh, student mental health. We're yeah. really excited. It's, uh, I just wanted to, to do a call it to the students that are here. It's Friday at 12 o'clock. There's a Zoom webinar to sign up for it. So we'll, we'll post that. So please definitely come out and, and hear from Michael Landsberg. I mean, you know, we all watched him on Off the Record for many, many years. Uh, sure. And of course, does a lot in the space in terms of uh, mental health. And he's calling it, he calls it isolation nation in what we are going through right now in COVID. So just yeah. uh, that, it, it, you know, in just one sentence or two, just going back to Alyssa's question, could you also give the students some advice on how to remain resilient during this time when, when we are, well, I mean, in Toronto, we're in a lockdown right now and, you know, isolation nation, what kind of advice in terms of you as being a professional in the sport business, would you give them in, in the production side? Well, I think that you just have to count the blessings that you do have, you know, in the moment, you can't focus on what you don't have. You have to focus on what you do have and focus on those things and, and not just try to see the bright side of something that's really bad. You really have to take it, take it in and find the grace of, of what you have going for you and to be appreciative of it. You know, if you're making no money doing what you're doing, um, find, find a way to find the silver lining in that, you know, and it's, it's all a state of mind. You know, it really is. I mean, the people who have nothing in this world can still find solace versus people, people who can have billions of dollars and still be unhappy. And uh, I, I personally think that, you know, you have to maintain not only a positive framework of what your existing world is, but understand that things will get better. And this too, as the, the cliche is, this too shall pass and, and things will be better in some way or another. The world is forever changed, but Things, things will be better. And I, I just, I think it's just important to remain optimistic. Thank you so much, Stephen Hoffner for being on Sport Talks with Sport Profs. Thank you, Coach Berlin, Chelsea Vern, Axel Lil Menis, Prof Joe, and to the students for your questions and your participation. We definitely will be having you back on this show and we definitely will be uh, having you into our classroom. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me, guys. And we definitely need to do a Zoom beer soon. Yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Stephen. All right, Good guys. Thanks so much. Have a great Good night. Night, night everybody. Bye. Night. See you then.